Mountain. It's good to be together. My name is Jared Fox. I'm one of the pastors here. A big shout out to all of our friends at the Bel Air campus, the Edgewood campus, the Mountain Road campus, all those watching online, and a special big shout out to my peeps over at the Abingdon campus. I miss your beautiful faces, but it's still good to be together. Uh, it is something awesome that happens every single week when we join together here and actually all around the world, right? Like we see uh, God's church coming together, still standing on one thing. And that's Jesus Christ, still standing. After all these years, have you ever thought about, like, this is an ancient old practice that's still as relevant today as it ever has been. God's church has made it through shifts in economy and political powers. God's church has made it through shifts of different trends, through oppression, depression, recession. God's church is still standing today and is just as strong as it has ever been. And there's something amazing about that because it stands on one truth. That's who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And you know, throughout all of these trend shifts and all the different dynamics of history, there's probably one recent change that's been bigger than any other, and that's the change in technology, right? We've got this online service you've probably heard about. You know, our message hasn't changed, but sometimes our methods do. Like, you'll notice there's not an organ on stage. I'm not wearing a suit and tie, and we have this thing called online service. We leverage technology to actually broadcast the message of Jesus Christ, the message that has not changed, the message we still stand on, all around the world, right? A lot of mountain people take advantage of this. If you're away on vacation or you're homesick, uh, you tune in and you watch online. I want to give you one example of what I'm talking about. It's one of the most beautiful worship scenes I've ever seen in my life. It was put on Facebook this week by somebody who was on vacation and joined us online. Check this out. adorable. I love it. It's like there's something so cool about the fact that, that God's church is alive and well today. Hopefully this video is just one small illustration of the fact that the movement that we're a part of, of Christians, of Christ's followers, is still alive and well today. And it's all founded on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. This series, Still Standing, is all about that. We're working through the Apostles' Creed. As a reminder, the word creed is just a way to say that I believe. It's a declaration that you believe something. And the Apostles' Creed is rooted in Scripture. We're not teaching the creed. We're teaching the Scripture that the creed represents. And all of this, all of the Apostles' Creed, is directed to and based on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's saying that we believe who Jesus is. Over the past few weeks, we've dug in to line by line, working through the creed. And last week, Kirk left us in a bit of a somber place. Kirk helped us to understand something that's really important as we transition to this week, and that's the fact that Jesus had died. Now, I think looking at last week, that line of the creed and the line we're going to get into today, they've got to be married together in a way for it to get its full impact, okay? And if you don't know what the creed is, don't worry. Later on in the service, we're going to recite it together. You'll get the full picture. But for now, I want to camp out just a little bit longer where Kirk left us last week. And here's what it said. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. Jesus died. I think Kirk used some technical lingo that I hadn't heard before. He said, this is how it looked, right? Jesus died. He was like 
really dead. He was like super, super dead, right? Like that's the medical way to pronounce somebody dead, I guess. Now I'm not trying to make light of it, but it's important that we know and we understand the fact that Jesus really died. This wasn't some sort of hoax. No, he took his last breath. He did the thing that all humans do. He died. They checked his pulse. They wrapped him in the cloth that they wrapped dead people in and they placed him in a tomb and they sealed the door. And I want to camp out here just a little bit longer because I think it's important to look at this through a perspective. We so often look at the crucifixion, we look at Jesus' death through the perspective and the lens of Jesus, right? Jesus died, Jesus suffered, Jesus' skin was broken open, Jesus' body was bruised and beaten, Jesus went through this torture, Jesus got mocked, Jesus got spit on, Jesus got put on a cross, Jesus died. But I want to change our perspective for just a minute, because I think it's going to help us to really understand this next line of the creed. Let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about how Jesus' disciples felt at this moment? If you ever pause just to think, okay, all of those guys who committed to following Jesus, how did they feel at this moment? You know, up until the moment that Jesus was taken into custody, they had walked with Jesus. They had left their families, their homes, their work. They decided they were going to commit everything to Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They drank with Jesus. They played with Jesus. They laughed with Jesus. They did life with Jesus. And then Jesus started to teach in the most amazing ways possible. And he told them of a kingdom that was coming, that he was going to set everything that was wrong right, that he was ushering in a new kingdom, that he was going to bring salvation, that he was going to rescue his people. Jesus starts to share this good news. He set the bar really high for his disciples. Then he proved it. He started performing miracles. You know, he, he raised the dead. He healed the blind. He healed, healed the crippled. They saw how he invested his life with the Father through prayer. These guys, they bought in. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus told them something was coming And he set the bar way up here for them. Their expectations were through the roof for what Jesus was bringing into this world. It led them to be courageous, to have a boldness, to have a calling. The movement that we're talking about that's still standing today, well, this is the grassroots of it. This is the very beginning. Everywhere Jesus would go, the crowds would follow and they would gather. They would form all around him. Jesus was changing lives, and the disciples, well, they were standing boldly beside Jesus, following him wherever he would take them. A movement was born. But we all know the best things, like when a story's at its absolute best, is when the twist comes. And last week, Kirk told us, their fearless leader, the ones they had committed all to, they committed to following this Jesus, their fearless leader, who they were following, like wherever he went, well, he was arrested, put on trial, put on a cross, and he died. Can you imagine for just a moment how the disciples must have felt in that moment? I think about Peter in particular. Peter was one of Jesus' best friends, one of his closest disciples. And at one point, Jesus even looked at Peter and said, hey, Peter, step out of that boat and walk on the water towards me. Like these guys had experienced Jesus in every way that they could. And now he's just gone. I mean, he told Peter, even the confession you've made of what you think of me, you are going to pioneer the way forward for my church. You're going to lead us forward. And now Jesus, they watched him take his last breath. The movement that they were a part of came to a screeching stop as Jesus disappeared from sight. 
something changed. Jesus died. And his disciples, well, they panicked. The foundation that they had beneath them was crumbling. The Bible says that when Jesus was taken into custody, that his disciples deserted him. Peter, we're going to pick on Peter a lot today. Peter was the guy who was closest with Jesus, you know, and Jesus said, hey, Peter, you're going to end up denying me. After Jesus is taken into custody, Peter's walking around. He's got his hand up. He doesn't want anybody to know that he was the guy that was with Jesus, and he's walking around, and finally this guy comes up and says, hey, weren't you, like, the dude with Jesus? Like, didn't I see you guys down at Starbucks having a cup of coffee? And Peter's immediately like, no, 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 it wasn't me. It must have been John. Go talk to him, right? And Peter denies Jesus three times. The scripture goes on to tell us that after Jesus had been killed, the disciples find themselves behind a locked door hidden in fear of these leaders who just killed their Jesus. Can you imagine how they felt? Can you imagine? The one they put their trust in was gone and they were scared. You want to stop an army? You kill the king and the king was dead. Imagine how scared they were. Let me try to illustrate this for you in, in the only way I know how. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, my son and my family and I went down to the aquarium in Baltimore. And when we go down there, we usually park over in the Trans-American building, a real big building down there. Uh, and the parking is below level, right? Well, after we got done at the aquarium, I told my wife, hey, why don't Isaac, my son and I, we'll, we'll go get the car. You guys hang here. You know, I'm trying to be a good, generous husband. Like, you just wait here. Your feet are tired. I'll take care of this. And we run over to the Trans-American building. We go in and, and I get in the elevator and I look at, at the, the buttons to push, the levels to choose from. And I realize there's like, there's like five options. Where did I park? I have no idea. So we hit the first one. We'll try there first. So the elevator goes down and it stops and the door opens. And I tell my son, Isaac, come here. He's about six at the time. Hey, you stand in the door. Don't let it close because we all know if there's motion there, if it senses something, it's not going to take off, right? The door will stay open. We don't want to lose our elevator. You hang out here. I'm going to go look out the door. We had parked right on the other side of the entrance door. I'm going to go look. You stay here. I run over and I open the door and I look out and I don't see our car. But just then I hear the ding on the elevator and I turn around and I see the doors close and my son is nowhere inside. Imagine the panic that overcame me. I don't want to have to tell my wife I lost my son. So I run back and I start banging on the door and hitting the button like crazy. And I'm watching the numbers go up and I start screaming into the elevator. Isaac, if you're in there, stay in the elevator. It will come back down. Don't get out. Stay put. And I'm hitting the button and I am panicking. I'm almost in tears. And then eventually I see the numbers stop. And then it starts to descend, and the elevator starts to come back down. And I am just praying that when that elevator hits the ground, where I'm at, when it hits that level and those doors come open, that my son is there. And finally, the elevator stops, the doors open, and in the back of the elevator is my son standing like this, shaking, saying, Dad, I thought I lost you. I was so scared. Can you imagine how the disciples must have felt? How Peter must have felt? Jesus didn't just temporarily leave their sights. No, they watched him die. They watched him take his last breath. The movement, the one we were just describing, is so alive and well today. It came crashing down right around those who were standing with Jesus. 
And you're probably thinking, well, that, that doesn't make sense, right? We're here. The God's church, there's a lot, billions of people around the world are worshiping Jesus right now. Well, we have perspective that the disciples lacked, right? And if you fast forward to Acts, you see that God's church has this whole newfound energy. And those same guys who were hiding behind locked door, who had denied Jesus, who had deserted Jesus, are now leading the way in an unbelievable movement called God's church. So what happened? What changed? What made them unlock the door and come out? We're going to go back to Matthew. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you're welcome to open it. We're going to be in Matthew 27 here for just a moment, and we're going to see what happened. At this point, Jesus is dead. His disciples are hiding. His mother is hunched over in pain and sadness. All hope seems to be gone. And in Matthew 27, verse 57, we pick up here. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Important, important to point out, like the movement had started, right? This guy had become a disciple of Jesus. He was an apprentice. He was learning from him. The scripture continues. It says, going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. See, the thing that you did with dead people, Jewish burial custom was to wrap them in cloth, and here we see Joseph doing that very thing, once again pointing to the fact that Jesus was super dead. Okay, and we continue. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away, and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. I love it when Scripture adds in these little details just to help us, like another vantage point, an eyewitness account. It didn't have to say that the Marys were there, but they were. They saw Jesus' cold, dead, stiff body placed into a tomb. They got to experience. They wanted to be there for the graveside burial in that moment. And can you imagine the grief? Can you imagine the heartache? And they expected something from Jesus too. And now they're watching the stone rolled in front of the grave and sealed. And just to assure that no pranks were pulled and somebody didn't come in and try to steal Jesus, uh, Pilate had a bunch of guards placed there as well, right? He said, no one's going to sneak into here, but we know that's not the end of the story. We continue, we move forward to Matthew chapter 28, and here's what it says. After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. And going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. And this next line is the moment that changed everything. This movement that we're a part of, that we know came to a screeching halt at the death of Jesus, well, it's about to regain every ounce of its momentum. Its energy is about to hit another atmosphere. And here's what the scripture tells us. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know you came looking for Jesus, who was crucified. However, he is not here. He has risen, just as he said he Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there, there you will see him. This moment, this moment changes everything. The Jesus who was beaten, who was mocked, 
who died a criminal's death and was stuck in a grave, he was no longer dead. No, according to the creed and according to scripture, the next line of the creed that we're looking at today, on the third day, he rose again. And that is good news for us. And it speaks to us in a way that only our God can. The thing Jesus said he was going to do, he did. The promise he made, he fulfilled. And with it, he brought life true, meaningful life to all who believe in him. See, the resurrection tells us who Jesus really is. It's concrete proof that Jesus was the son of God. He wasn't a false prophet. He wasn't a pretender. He wasn't an imposter, a lunatic, or a martyr. Jesus and his resurrection is the divine sign that Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth to bear the weight of all of our sin and pay the price once and for all. The cross without the resurrection is a beautiful gesture. It's a beautiful gesture. But without death being defeated, we have to wonder how holy and how righteous Jesus was. If death wasn't defeated, if the resurrection didn't happen, then were our sins really paid for in full? But because Jesus didn't stay dead, we have confidence that our sin, gather this, friends, all of our sin, every ounce of our sin is paid for in full. The resurrection is the cornerstone, the foundation, the climax of God's plan, the thing that proves Jesus is both fully God and fully human, making his atonement for our sins adequate once and for all. The king that they thought they had killed would not stay dead. And the angel said to Mary, He's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And I have a question for you. Based on what you know about the church, about God's church, right? One of the lines in the creed says, we believe in the Catholic church. It's a lowercase c. It represents God's global church. Find out the way that you think of the word Catholic. That word actually means God's universal church. We look at God's universal church. We see what's happening here. We see what's happening online. We see all that happened throughout the New Testament. You look at the 27 books of the New Testament and you see claim after claim of the resurrected Christ. Do you think they saw him? Do you think they experienced Jesus? There's all sorts of scripture that points they do. You see, the disciples, after Jesus died, they went into hiding. But after the resurrection, they stood at the gates of the opposition, and they boldly proclaimed that Jesus is alive. Something happened that made these disciples go from cowards to courageous, from confused to clear, from concealed to campaigning, from chastised to being Jesus' biggest champion. Something changed, and Peter and the rest of the disciples had an interaction with Jesus that changed and transformed their lives and brought them out of hiding. See, the cross without the resurrection is just not enough. The resurrection gives us hope. It's where we find salvation. It's the very thing we stand on today and we have for thousands of years. Remember that guy, Peter, the coward, the one who went into hiding, the one who denied Jesus? 
Well, after he experienced the resurrected Christ, something changed in his life. You better believe it. Because when we experience Jesus, when we accept Jesus into our heart, we receive and experience a spiritual resurrection in a way. And we see that in Peter's life. He went from being a coward to being courageous, walking the streets, talking to anyone and everyone he could about the fact that Jesus was alive. And in 1 Peter 3, we read this. 1 Peter 1, we read this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is in his great mercy he's given us a new birth, a spiritual resurrection, a second chance into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Friends, when we invite Jesus into our life, when we experience Jesus, we are promised an inheritance that will never spoil, will never fade, will never go away because we know that Jesus has defeated the grave and our God resurrected, ascended into heaven to give us hope and a life beyond this one. And in 1 Peter 3, he goes on to say, we are saved by the resurrection of Jesus. All this to say that God's grace, his forgiveness, the new birth and life given to us is found in the crucified and risen Jesus. A dead Jesus can be a teacher and a martyr, but a resurrected Jesus, he can be and is our savior. Our salvation, it's based on the resurrection of Jesus and the promise that we are alive with him because he was alive then and he is alive today. I know we, we've heard this truth before, right? Jesus didn't stay dead. Perhaps uh, if you're new around here and this is a new truth for you, I hope, I hope God's doing something in your heart and, and, and you're experiencing Jesus for the first time. Uh, but I know for a lot of us, maybe we've had an ounce of doubt along the way that this thing didn't actually happen, right? Uh, there's been all sorts of theories throughout history that maybe uh, Jesus didn't actually die or it was an imposter. And, and I want to tell you, if you have any doubt at all, don't look at that as your lack of faith. Look at it as an opportunity for God and scripture just to strengthen your faith. Dig into your doubt, find the answers, and watch what God does. Throughout history, people have done that, and throughout history, the Bible, the church, those who follow Jesus, that movement has just gained momentum. And so some will say, you know, Jesus didn't actually die, which to me is, is crazy. Somehow he made it through all of that torture and came out the other side still breathing, Enough to go see his disciples. So somehow, after his skin was filleted open, after he was nailed to a cross, after his body suffocated in this position, after a spear was driven up through his ribcage, into his lung, and through his heart, somehow he survived that. Have you seen the movies, right, where like the hero's in a helicopter, and the helicopter comes crashing down, and all of a sudden there's all these flames, then Tom Cruise emerges unscathed, unharmed, the helicopter blows up behind him. Like, that could be what happened here, right? No! No, they made sure that he was dead. And if that's not enough proof for you, remember he was wrapped in the cloth and put into the tomb. If Jesus, and this is a big if, if Jesus somehow survived that, the Bible shows us that not so long after he appears to his disciples. Do you think there's any chance he's walking into that room on his own? No, he's coming in on a stretcher. He's not going to be able to eat. He's not going to be able to talk. He's not going to be able to drink on his own. And those cackle of cowards called the disciples in that moment, do you think they would have been any more emboldened to go out and share their faith? 
No, they would have gone to the room behind the locked room, right? They would have been even more scared, more intimidated. But we don't see that. Now, after the disciples interacted with Jesus, they find this newfound enthusiasm, this newfound excitement, this newfound energy to go out and tell everybody that they know that Jesus is alive, even to the point where a bunch of Jesus' disciples died the same way he did, crucified for their faith in him. Do you think they do that for a Uh, a beaten and bruised and barely living Jesus? No, they only do that if they experience Jesus' perfect resurrected body standing there in front of them. And some would go on to say, well, it wasn't actually Jesus. It was a doppelganger. You know, it was the twin or somebody who looked a lot like him. Again, seems a little foolish to me if you think about the fact that he appears to his disciples and to the Marys. And I gotta tell you, these guys hung out with him a lot. They knew every freckle on his face. If one had moved, they would know. And not only that, um, Paul goes on to talk about the witnesses who saw Jesus. Paul himself first says, like, hey, of all the sinners, like, I was the worst. And then I experienced Jesus, and now look at me. Like, I am in love, and I will do whatever to advance the gospel. You don't want to take my word for it? Let me show you something else. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you take your stand. This is where we stand, church. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And it goes on to say, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. You don't want to take my word for it. You don't want to take the disciples' word for it. You don't want to take Peter's word for it. Here's the list of people. Go, go ask them yourself. Now, Aunt Rose, she's, she falls asleep. She's dead, right? But the rest are still alive. Like, go ask. Go ask. Jesus died, and Jesus resurrected. The same Jesus who entered the grave is the same Jesus who came out of the grave, perfected and resurrected to bear the weight of our sin once And for all. The real life Jesus, the fully human Jesus, he died for us. Paul goes on to say that if the crucifixion didn't actually happen, then our preaching is futile. It's a waste of time. Why are you even here? But we've experienced Jesus. And while there's a lot in the creed for us to learn from, This one line, on the third day he rose again, is the thread that ties it all together. Without the resurrection, we don't have a movement. The real life, fully human Jesus resurrected for us so we may have hope that our sins are paid for once and for all. He is alive, he is still alive, and according to the scriptures, his physical body ascended into heaven to give us hope that we too will not perish, but that we will have eternal life. And Peter, and Peter, he experienced Jesus, and it wrecked and transformed his life, and he wanted everybody to know that he had seen him. Have you ever met somebody that, uh, like a celebrity, or maybe somebody you always wanted to meet? I know I don't get too geeked out by celebrities myself, unless, okay, there's a caveat here, unless that celebrity has some relationship or connection to the Kentucky basketball program. Uh, the reason for, yeah, amen. Uh, the reason for that is it is the greatest basketball program in the history of the world, okay? 
And I got to tell you, I've always said, like, I would love more than anything to meet Coach John Calipari. He, he came to our program a few years ago, and he's transformed from national title. We got a bunch of Final Fours. Like, man, if I could just meet John Calipari, how cool would that be? And, you know, he actually came to Maryland not so long ago. He was recruiting a boy who lives in Hybrid Grace who plays at John Carroll named Emmanuel Quickly. And one of my friends called me and said, hey, Jared, you want to believe? I know you want to meet John Calipari. Well, he's going to be at John Carroll to watch Emmanuel play. You can come meet him maybe. It's like, cool. It's a Sunday afternoon, 2 o'clock. At that time, I was a youth pastor. Echo started at 5. I was like, well, I think I can make it. So I went, and I'm sitting in the bleachers. I took my son with me. We were decked out head to toe in Kentucky gear. You know, and I'm sitting a few hours back. The place is packed out, and I'm looking all around saying, where's John at? Where's Coach Cal at? And finally, about the third quarter, I see him. He's over on the side behind this group of tall dudes, like kind of behind them, every now and then kind of peeking up, looking at his phone, peeking up. Like, don't get me wrong. John wasn't there to watch Emmanuel play. He knew that Emmanuel Quickly was amazing, right? And by the way, Emmanuel Quickly did commit to the University of Kentucky. We need to make sure we know that. All right, he wasn't there to watch. He was just there to see him, to say, hey, yeah, I came to your game. Come commit to the University of Kentucky. And finally, I'm like, I, I was nervous. I was shaking. This is so silly to admit, but I was like, Isaac, let's do it. Let's go meet him. So at the end of the third quarter, I grab Isaac, and we walk down the bleachers, and we go over, and we find Coach Cal, and he's like behind this group of guys, and I've got my son here, and I say, hey, hey, Coach Cal. Finally, he, he looks up, and he sees me like decked out in Kentucky stuff, and you can just tell he's like, what do you want? And he, he looks over the crowd, and I say, hey, Coach, coach, you get, a, you get a picture with my son? He can't see my son. He's way down here, right? And he's got this crowd of people in front. You get a picture with my boy? All right, send him on over. So the crowd kind of parts, and we sneak through, and I take Isaac over, and I put him right next to Coach Cal, and I step back, and I say, okay, you guys ready? Oh, you know what? Well, I'm here, too. We, like, let's just do this together, right? Like, let's get a picture. And I go over, and I take a picture, and I've got proof. Here it is, okay? I met John Calipari. There it is. Actually, as I was looking through my pictures, I realized I never even took one of just Isaac and him together. Now, I was so excited to meet him, and after I did, you know, you know what I did? I took this picture back to Echo, and it was my primary sermon illustration that night. And I called my mom, and I texted the picture to all of my friends. I wanted everybody to know that I had met John Calipari, and as silly as it is to, to shake his hand, to have this physical interaction, to experience his presence, got me so, so excited. So let me ask you a question. Based off what we're doing right now, based off what you're experiencing right now, based off what God's global church is doing right now, do you think the disciples, when they went to Galilee, do you think they saw him? I think so. I think they experienced Jesus. Something amazing happens after the resurrection. Those who saw Jesus, they wanted to tell everyone. They had had this real life, alive encounter with Jesus. And the crowd of followers go from hiding to ferociously advancing the gospel message. Jesus' physical body went into the grave, came out of the grave, and ascended to heaven, and it changed everything. It gave the disciples something to stand on. And if you know anything about the book of Acts, you know that the church, the movement that Jesus started, it was swift, and it was growing like crazy, leading us to where we are today. And that one guy we picked on a lot today, Peter, I want to wrap up by talking a little bit about his experience with Jesus after 
the resurrection, how he lived for him. He gets a pretty bad rap, right? He, he denied Jesus. He was hiding. He deserted him. He gets a pretty bad rap. But after he's experienced the resurrected Christ, something has changed in his life. Now, I want to catch up with their story in Acts chapter 4, okay? Jesus had come. He had died. He had resurrection, resurrected, and he had ascended. And now we catch up with Peter and John, and they're walking around. They're just telling everybody, like, Jesus is alive. They're healing people. They're preaching the gospel. In Acts chapter 4, it actually says that they healed a lame man, a crippled man. And the Jewish leaders, they, they started to catch wind that this Jesus movement was starting to gain some traction once again. Like, oh, no, what do we do? How do we stop it? And so they say, hey, go, go grab Peter and John and throw them in jail overnight. Maybe you've heard of this before, like if a teenager or a young adult gets in trouble, I'll just lock them up for the night. We'll scare them straight, right? Like we'll, we'll get them uh, figured out how, how to get on the right path. We'll, we'll scare them into conforming. And so they do that with Peter and John. They lock them up, and the next day they say, bring them to us. Peter and John, they, they go before these folks, and they stand there, and they look at them. And here's what they say to Peter and John. They say, by what power or what name do you do this? Did you do this? Do you say this? What gives you confidence to preach and to heal people? And think about this for just a moment. Here's Peter and John standing face to face with the very people who had just put their leader, Jesus, on trial and had him crucified. If you were going to stand there before them, you better have something to stand on. And here's how Peter and John reply. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. See what's happening here? Like he's not only standing boldly in front of these religious leaders. No, he is putting a finger in their chest and saying, you did this. You're the one who crucified him. This was your fault. But guess what? Death could not keep him down. But whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's it. They experienced Jesus and it changed their life. And the religious rulers respond when they saw the courage. You check out that word? When they saw the courage. Remember these guys were just hiding? Remember they denied and deserted? When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were just unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, experiencing the resurrected, the alive Jesus, it changes everything. They saw him, they interacted with him, and it gave them a boldness unlike anything else in this life can they were standing before those who killed their king, and they were doing so on solid ground. And it kind of caught the religious folks off guard. They're like, oh, my gosh, well, what are we going to do with these guys? Hey, guys, can you step out of the room for a second so we can confer, so we can talk? The guys step out of the room, Peter and John, and they circle up, and they say, well, what are we going to do? Like, I don't think we can kill another one. That is a bad PR move, right? Like, I don't know what the next step is here. Let's just, let's just tell them not to do it and bring them back in, bring them back in. So they bring the guys back in and they sit in front of them. And here's what they say to them. They say, hey, we'd like it if you guys would go out and not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
Like, if you could do that for us, that would be a big help. We don't like how much traction this thing's getting. If you could just not speak at all in the name of Jesus, that would be really helpful. And I want to close our time by looking at how Peter and John replied. Here's what they say. Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. We're not moving because we can't help but speak of the things that we have seen and we have heard. If you've experienced the resurrected Jesus, then it gives you something to stand on. We can learn a lot from Peter. You see, the difference in the disciples, they experienced Jesus, they experienced the resurrection, and it made them courageous, it made them a ferocious advocate for all that Jesus stood for. Jesus forgives me when I fail, just like he forgave Peter. And if Jesus is alive, I can stand for anything. The resurrection is more powerful than anything in this world that I am afraid of. If Jesus is dead, then I should be scared, but he's not, so I should be courageous. If you're standing on anything, morality, ethics, politics, science, if you're standing on anything other than the truth that Jesus is alive, you are standing on shaky grounds. But when you experience Jesus, it will change everything in your life and it will give you something to stand on. You know, a normal person, they don't have hope in what's after this life, but Christ followers, Christians, we have hope and life eternal with our Lord Jesus Christ. A normal person doubts the future. A Christian eagerly awaits it. A normal person is scared of death, but a Christian has no fear. A normal person blames everybody else when obstacles come their way, but a Christian relies on the hope of Jesus Christ. A normal person lives with guilt, but Christians, we live with no shame. Instead, we live with conviction to love and live like Jesus did serving people the way that Jesus served us. If you're going to stand up to the Sanhedrin like Peter and John did, you need something to stand on. And they were standing on the same thing that we're standing on today. It's the truth of what God has done. Death has been defeated. Jesus is alive, and we can have life because of it. We stand on the fact that on the third day he rose again. So let me ask you, have you experienced the resurrected Christ? Have you given your life to Jesus? If so, then live like a resurrected person. No fear, no shame, no guilt, just living out the love that Christ showed us, humbling himself to the point of the cross so that we may have life and have it to the fullest because he didn't stay there. He is alive. And we know it. And we've seen it. And we've experienced it. So do me a favor. When somebody stands before you, and they say, stop acting like a Christian, stop serving people, stop loving people. Would you instead stand up strong and firm and on the foundation of Jesus Christ and say, as for me, I can't help but speak of the things I have seen and heard and I have seen and I have heard the living Jesus Christ. He has defeated the grave and on the third day, he rose again, amen? Here in just a moment. 
we're going to go into a time of communion. And this is a chance for those of us who are Christ followers, those of us who stand firm on the foundation that Jesus is our Lord and Savior who conquered the grave, to respond and say, God, we thank you and we love you. And as we enter into our time of communion, I thought we'd do so by reciting the creed together. The Apostles' Creed is just a declaration of who Jesus is. So let's declare it together. I invite you to stand as we get ready to do so. And we're going to recite the creed, the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to pray. Uh, and then the communion trays will be passed. And, and as the trays are passed, we're going to start to sing a song. We're going to start to worship. And I would encourage you, let's recite the Apostles' Creed like people who have seen and heard. And after the tray has passed and you've had a moment to take communion, would you stand and sing and sing like people who have seen and heard and can't help but exclaim how good our God is? And if you're a guest here today and you're not sure about the Apostles' Creed, that's okay. You don't have to say it. You'll find that this is a very safe place for you wherever you are in your journey of faith. But I hope you've experienced today the fact that Jesus is alive and he loves you. And he is for you and he is with you. And if you believe in him and you give your life to him, you can stand firm on the foundation of his resurrection. Let's recite the creed together. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. And if you know it, say it loud. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can be seated. God, we love you. God, we're so thankful that you sent Jesus, that he bore the weight of our sin. He took it all on on the cross, but that God, he did not stay dead. We celebrate a resurrected Jesus now. And God, those of us who have experienced Jesus, may we live like Peter did and say in front of anyone who asks, I can't help but speak of the things that I've seen and heard. The foundation I stand on is the resurrected Christ. And God, maybe for some of us, you're working for the first time and we're meeting Jesus. We're experiencing Jesus. God, continue to draw us close. God, ultimately, this meal is celebrating you, your love for us. So, God, we celebrate you now. We thank you for your body that was beaten, for your blood that was poured out, but for the perfected and resurrected body of Jesus Christ and the hope that it brings us. May we live like resurrected people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.